Welcome to ArchiSpeak, a fortnightly podcast about all things architecture. My name is Evan Troxell, and I'm one of your hosts along with Neil Pan and Cormac Phelan. Have you ever wondered what it's like to work in the profession of architecture? Have you ever worked with an architect? Have you ever wanted to be an architect? Maybe you're in school and don't know what you're getting yourself into, or perhaps you know exactly what it's like because you've been working in the profession for a long Welcome time. Welcome to episode you know 98 the change, of the ArchiSpeak the podcast. The I'm Neil or Pan. Maybe, I'm Evan Troxel. You're planning on changing Phelan. the world. And this episode of ArchiSpeak is sponsored by ARCAT. Check out all the features they offer at arcat.com, and we'll talk a little bit more about them later in the show. But first up, we have a special announcement to make. Woo, yeah. Special announcement. I, I just wanted to let everybody know that if you've been following along on my blog, I've been kind of releasing a little bit of information week by week because I've been working my butt off on a new book that I've been writing for the last seven months. So I wanted to let everybody here know who's listening, especially those of you out there who are unlicensed because the topic of the book is getting your license, How basically how to how to create the space that you need in your life to do what it takes to get licensed. So it's strategies, advice. Uh, many of you, you know, who've been listening to the podcast for the past few years that I got licensed in 2014. So I, I basically went through the whole process while we've recorded this podcast. And while we didn't talk about it a whole lot, it came up a few times. And so there's just a lot of good information in there. I'm, I mean, I'm a dad. I'm, I've got four kids and podcast and a career and uh, I like to go outdoors and do all kinds of stuff. So how do you create the time that is required to, to pull off such a thing? Uh, and then also for, for just you know students who are going to graduate and get their license after that, what does it take? What do you, what do you need to expect? Uh, what's, the, what's it like? All the kind of stuff that we kind of talk about on this podcast as far as what it's like to get into the field of architecture, the profession of architecture, this is that type of information, but for licensure specifically. So if you want to know more about that, I'll give you a, a website address that you can go to and just sign up to get notified when, it, when it's ready so then you can check it out. And that is arehacks.com. And if you go to that website, you can just uh, sign up to be notified when the book becomes available. And that's it. I just wanted to let everybody know. Thanks for giving me a minute to share that, guys. And I've read probably about 40 pages of it so far, and it is, it's going to be useful. It's going to be, I mean, it's like, wait, I've made that excuse. I've made that excuse. Whoa, you know, this ways to get around all of that. So it's, it, I'm looking forward to finishing the book and also finishing other things. And, um, <laughs> Hit, like, hitting a little close to home there, Cormac. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. It's uh, making me realize how how bullshit some of my excuses really are. It's like, <laughs> which is which is good, which is needed, which is needed. Anyway, wow. Well, it sounds like a great book. Evan. It, uh, congratulations on doing it and uh, getting very close to the finish line. Here, we're, we're real proud of you. It's been a labor of love. I mean, it's definitely tons and tons of effort to write a book. I've never written a book before, and so this is one of those things that I've always been interested in trying to figure out, and so. Once I dove into it, it's been an enjoyable process. It's also been difficult and challenging and all those things. So it's really stretched me in a lot of ways um, to become a better writer and all editor and all that kind of stuff. So it's completely self-published, completely every single aspect of it I've, I've really taken on. And it's been a great project. It's also just been really time-consuming. So I hope it, it does uh, really help people. I mean, that's the whole idea is that I want to help more people get licensed. The profession needs great architects. I mean, I say that in the book. And so I want to help make that happen. And uh, I think that 
that this is just one of those kind of guides that will help people get licensed, know what to expect, um, and, and help them get through the process a little bit easier. So that's it. Awesome. What's the website again? arehacks.com. And that just basically goes to the, the front page of my website where you can sign up and get notified when it becomes available. I won't, uh, I won't send anything else through that email address. So once you sign up there, you can rest assured that it will only be used to let you know when the book becomes available. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. So you had a great topic uh, I think we wanted to dive into tonight. Uh, you want to explain to everybody what that, what that was? Yeah, so the, I guess the, one of the things that I've always been interested in, there's actually two aspects to, I guess, the, the natural process that people go through. And we'll talk about one of them tonight. The, the, the first one that we're not going to talk about is just the transitions uh, between high school or junior college and a university going into an architecture program and kind of what that's like, the, the kind of shell shock of, of that. It, it hits close to home for me because I have a son who just started high school, and and tonight he was just like, man, high school's hard, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it was one of those things where I said, yeah, and it only gets harder. You know, so it's it's one of those transition period in the life of an architect, and that one's interesting. But uh, the other one that I want to talk about tonight is really the the second one, which is the transition from the studio environment to the office environment. And so uh, we talked a little bit in one of the last two episodes, I can't remember which one, about... Last episode was talking about going back to school. Yeah, back to school, like how to survive school, right? So we, we talked a little bit about that, but I, I think that there's, there's some things here that we could probably get into about what to expect when you... We, we talked about how to work in different size offices, and we all work in kind of similar sized offices i guess we're all in medium-sized firms i would say right so so i think that but we've worked in different size firms but maybe what to expect when you get in like what's different between the studio and working in a corporate office what what changes and and how to how to navigate that so that's the idea for the topic one of the difficult things when you go from the studio environment to the office environment at least for me was the fact that i mean there's this there's some the basic things right you have to show up at a certain time or there's an expectation of time you have to be there time you leave and also to maybe what you're wearing right there's like an office dress code uh, you're not showing up in your pjs and flip-flops or you know whatever you're in studio in I think there's that difference. There's also uh, some of the basic differences of you're in a corporate environment or an office sort of environment. So there's maybe not loud music playing or just uh, cussing and swearing. Lots of things that probably happen a little more openly and freely in the studio environment, right? That doesn't happen in the corporate environment. So I think there's a bit of a expectation change. And it may be, I think one of the things you had uh, listed was cubicles or the subtitle kind of cubicles and efficiency versus creativity and art, because there is that sense of you're so creative because you're so much more free in a studio environment. And that can be, you know, the dress and ability to go in and out whenever you want other than you know say during studio time when your professor's there but it just feels like it's much more creative in that environment than when you go to the corporate environment and you're you're doing the nine to five and you're probably not working on something that is maybe as interesting at first 
So I think there's some of those basic things that hit you right in the face as soon as you, you, move, you make that change. And that's actually probably one of the hardest adjustments of, of, of really any adjustment is that the rigor of the nine to five. Because it, it was, we all know, and I'm pretty sure your studio is just like my studio was, is that you did have that freedom. You you did come in, you know, maybe I feel like I should go out drinking for a little while and then come back and work in the middle of the night instead of, you know, and, and you just, you don't really have those kind of like freedoms to do that kind of stuff when you're in the studio. I mean, when you're, you know, out in the real world, because projects actually have, I mean, even though there are similarities that projects in studio do demand, you know, very much a similar rigor, you don't take it as serious. It doesn't feel, there doesn't feel like there's any consequences to it. But when you're in the real world, and I don't want to make it sound like studio is not the real world, but when you're doing the nine to five job and you're punching in and you're doing what you need to do to get a actual building built people aren't really ready for that transition. And, and that's a, that's something that we've talked about in the past about this disconnect between the studios and, or, or architecture school in general and the profession is how much does it really prepare students for becoming a working professional? Well, let, let's not talk about all the negative things here. Let's, let's talk about one of the positive things, studio environment, you're paying to be there, right? And suddenly, Wait, that's in the a corporate positive. environment, you're getting no. You, uh, well, the I, positive I see, I see side is the positive side is you're in the corporate environment. You're actually getting paid to be there, which is uh, which is kind of cool, actually. I, that's to me, that's something that is a positive, right? Of moving from school to profession, you're actually going to yeah. you're making thing or you're making money and you're furthering the your career right the the studio environment is that first step and now you're making the next step so there's some positives too i think i think there's a is an important distinction in there to just kind of build on what you just said too is you're building your career and one thing i think to realize early on when you go to work for an office is that the more you're willing to invest in yourself or to get other people to, you know, maybe you can convince other people to invest in you and advocate for you, the better the entity will do. And I, I think that that is a disconnected thought for most people. Most people go and work in an office and they do what they're told and they show up on time and they leave on time and they do what they need to do during the hours of the day. But what I think really successful people do when they go to work for an office is they identify where holes are in themselves or in the company and they try to find ways to fill those holes to do things better you know for instance and when you figure out what those things are you are making yourself better but you're also making the company better and those are the types of things that really make a difference and those aren't I guess we kind of feel like that when we're in school, right? We want to do well on our projects when we're in school, but we're not doing it for the betterment of the school, right? You're, you're, it's very selfish. You're trying to get a good grade. Right. You're right. trying to do well in studio. You're maybe trying to win some design award or, or whatever, but it, it's very personal. When you go to work for a company, all of a sudden, it's very important, I think, to realize, depending on the company you go work for, but, but I think this is a general statement that holds pretty true, is... You are part of a team, and the team 
does better if you help the team, right? And so it is, I think it's hard for a lot of architects or architecture students who, what's the right word? when, When you are basically matriculating into the career field to shift from that very personal selfish in podcasting quotes uh, <laughs> view in in and switch that over to a you are there uh, to help the endeavor uh, do better right uh, you are you are part of a team you're all in it together and i mean we struggle with this the big global we as architects struggle with this because there's still a lot of people in the firm who are advanced in their age who are still really selfish and they want to shine above everybody else. And I think it does a disservice to the whole company because they are not mentoring students. They're not mentoring interns or young younger people in the firm because they're trying to – they don't want to spend their time on that. They want to spend their time developing contacts and bringing in business and, and making themselves look good. And I think that that just does a disservice to the whole company. So if you can take on the viewpoint of you are there to help everybody do better – and and if you're working at a place where people really feel like that, I think that is definitely something to look out for because that kind of well-oiled machine aspect to the whole thing really goes a long way. And and morale is higher, and, and people seem to do better in those kinds of environments. Hey, Evan, I wanted to ask you, because part of your subtitle here was cubicles and efficiency versus creativity and art. What yeah. What's your sort of... I, What's the effect of a cubicle do to a person in an architectural office? Or do you work in cubes or what sort of work environment is your studio at at your office? Let me, let's start with that. So that's a really good thing to bring up, I think, because, because I think most offices don't look like the studio environment that we're used to seeing in school. And I haven't seen a lot. I've done a lot of research trying to find images of just different studios and they they're always a lot more clean and corporate than the design studio the design studio is a freaking mess right and and that i think is the charm of it and and it also tells you visually just by looking at it that creative stuff happens there that to me is what i see i mean a lot of people see who aren't in architecture see it as a complete freaking mess but i think that also is the mess that enables us to do the work that we do creatively. And I'm coming from a designer standpoint here, so I could see how other people might take issue with what I'm saying. Um, well, but what, what, what's your, what do you think about that? Well, I was, I was going to ask, I mean, the, cause you said it earlier about how when you're in school, you know, it's, it's more, it's more personal. It's about you. It's about, you know, your mm-hmm. personal endeavors to get, get your degree and get out. Uh, so you can get into that corporate environment and, and so, or hang out as long as or possible. Hang out as long I mean, as possible. Some people take that tactic, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but, um, what they, what they tend to do is, you know, that I, I think that the disarray and kind of like the, what we consider the, the beautiful mess of a architecture school studio is really about, it, it reflects the, the individual endeavors. Whereas in the corporate office, it's more about, kind of like the collective and so that's why it looks a little bit cleaner i i, I kind of see it different i i kind of feel like the cubicle environment is like here's the boundaries this stuff is mine well but that's how but i kind of see, see it there's there's different corporate environments now i've worked in sure. a cubicle type environment where it's actual 
isolationism. It's walled off. It's me. It's, you know, it's don't come past those boundaries. You know, it it literally felt like the Berlin Wall working behind there. I was so, I felt so detached from everybody else. And now I work in a, an office that has what we call pods and they're lower walls. There's kind of a, a, a collection of four desks that are kind of form like two little U's facing inwards towards each other. And that people can pass through the, the pods, and they often do. And a lot of times that kind of fosters people to stop and say, hey, what are you working on? And, or they kind of glance over at your monitor and realize that you're looking up some YouTube. I mean, um, you're working on something really, really nice that they really want to see. Yep. And, and re-cheat, researching a product on Arcat? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> but what... But what that does is I I think that there are degrees of the cubicle life that both hinder the kind of productivity that the the studio had, where the studio, you know, you could kind of like glance over because there were no walls. There were, it was just, I'm speaking just purely of Auburn's, is that just a bunch of tables. And, you know, we had a bunch of pin. I think that's typical. Yeah. yeah. And, and so you could see what was going on and you could kind of like feed off of other things and o- other people's work. Well, and there's and- lots of sharing. I, right. I think that that is an environment of, you know, the, the boundaries are very blurred, right? So so what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. And, and there's materials and there's tools and things do walk away. But it's, it's most of the thing I can think of, like when I see studios like that is like, oh, yeah, like here's resources at our fingertips let's all let's all do our stuff and and yeah and get it done together like i i know that i was saying earlier that it's very personal and and selfish but at the same time there is a camaraderie felt between studio mates right that that is uh we're all working on this project even though we're turning in individual projects you know ideas are informing other ideas and people are sharing materials and and late nights and good times and you're building communities and i think I think to me, cubicles kind of send the other message, which oh, is you're right. it's really compartmentalized. This is my stuff. That's your stuff. And to, I, to me, that that is not a creative space. And that's, I guess, what I tend to think of when I when I enter it, when I use it, when I that's what I feel when I see it. Well, maybe it might be interesting for each of us to kind of set the stage of how each of us. What is it like to go into work each? day for each of us what do you think is conducive to kind of the open open dialogue um, environment and what you think uh, maybe your firm can do a little bit better i mean it would be interesting to kind of understand how you know how each of us because we though there are similarities with all of our different firms because of the sizes and things like that and the project types and all but you know there could be absolute distinct differences like i said firms that i've worked for in the past purely felt like it was an isolationist because it was a cubicle farm and nobody talked to anybody and there was no as bad as it sounds i mean you could tell in their work that it wasn't a collaborative environment Hmm. and and uh and i'm i'm curious how how can you tell in your work or how can you tell in your environments that you know you're either successful or failure failing at at kind of this open dialogue or this open collaboration? Well, I, I actually before we go there, I just have a quick question. And, and Evan, I know you've you've taught more recently in schools than than I've been visiting any studios. But how has the computer changed? Could you, when you first off, how has the computer changed that the studio environment? What I'm curious to, to know is, 
has the computer created a little bit more of a isolated environment in the studio, which is a little different than the very much messy collaborative environment you just described, which was desks and everything is open. And at least from my perspective, now, when I was in school, yes, Cormac, cue the old jokes. We didn't have computers in the studio. (laughs) Me? Make fun of you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, make fun of me. Anyway, we didn't have computers in the studio, right? So when everybody was working, now... Didn't have computers on the planet. (laughs) (laughs) I think you said last time they were like the size of a room. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. We could check the tape on that. Check the tape. Check the tape. Get a at at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, we you know we had the desks, and actually they were really nice. They would they would uh, uh, long before now nowadays a lot of corporate offices get the standing desks. They go up and down. We had actually had they were all standing back. Well, then. Well, no, actually we we had chairs desks weren't would, invented. Oh my God! Really? <laughs> uh, anyway, Quit interrupting me. This is a pain in the ass to edit. <laughs> Anyway, leave it all uh, in. Leave it all in, exactly. So, no, what, what I was getting at is that at Cal Poly, we actually had these metal frames. They were kind of open, uh, like L shaped frames that you could pin stuff up on or tape things to, or literally, most people actually, some people screwed pegboards in and stuff. So, we could create a little bit of that isolation, but it was very open because it was not all cute or not all boarded up, but not quite just desks where everything was flat everywhere where you could see all the way across the room. But I'm curious. What has been your experience in when you were teaching the effect of the computer on that open sort of environment in studio? Well, from my experience, it didn't change it at all because everybody has laptops and laptops are a tool and they're not precious in architecture school. They've got stickers all over them and you just throw it on the desk and you sometimes you're plugged in, sometimes you're not. And it's just another tool that's on the desk. Okay. They, you know, at, at least at Cal Poly here, there's just everybody still has a drafting size table and there's modeling equipment, you know, for analog models all over it. And there are cutting mats and people are still building physical models and it's, it just becomes another tool. And, and obviously it's used for other classes besides studio too, but it's very much just an extension of the same studios we had when we were in school. Okay. When I was in school, we were transitioning from hand to computer and people did have, and there was no such thing as like a real laptop back then. I mean, everything was just enormous, right? We had CRT monitors and, and so people did bring those in and they did lock them in their own cubicles that they built just for security. But for the most part, mo- most people didn't do that back then. But now it's just everybody has a laptop and you might see a few extra larger monitors that are kind of chained to a desk or something. But other than that, it's it's just uh, I don't think it's that much different. We had right. where we didn't even have computers in the studios and we weren't and, and this was just before the transition where they were making um, students kind of bring their own laptops in. But it was just labs. It was all lab-based. In the studio, we had probably a few workstations for computers, but we didn't have, you know, we didn't have the a laptop at every desk. And, and now I'm pretty sure, in fact, um, I think the last time I walked through ours, the labs 
are still there for things like BIM training and stuff like that, but they really more, it was, it's a tool on your desk. There's, you know, the rolls of trace, there's the laptop, there's the tablet, mm-hmm. rulers and things like that. And so it was, you know, it's a, it's a, it's kind rulers? of an integration. Rulers? It, what? A scale. What do you call those things? Uh, oh, okay. A scale. Forgot. A scale. Had a, okay. Had a brain lab. Had a brain lab. He's you, you know what that's like. Come on, in your advanced He's old. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so my ruler, I had my ruler on my desk as well as my laptop and all that other stuff. So anyway, <laughs> I did go to school in Alabama, so got to say it like that. But uh, anyway, so, I mean, that was kind of the way it is. And, and to be quite honest with you, that's the way it is now in our in, at our office is that we've got very much the a similar thing going on where we all have, well, I don't say we all have, but everybody has drafting tables available to them. I have one that's like right next to me. So like within my uh, pod where we've got four, four desks for four different people, each of those are kind of subdivided with a drafting table that two people can share. And so, you know, we still have that. We still use it. Still got tons of trace. We still have tons, uh, you know, and everybody has their computer workstation and materials, you know, material boards and samples and everything else are all laid out. And it's it's nice and open enough. And it does harken back to a more studio based environment. But because everybody's more doing production You'll find nine times out of ten people will be staring more at their computer than all of the other places. Glued to the glowing screen. Glued yeah. to the glow- glowing screen. Yeah. And I think that's the big yeah, difference totally. between what the work environment is and, and stuff where it changes from the always on the go kind of we're designing and we're, you know, doing more analog type stuff. It's on the trace. It's on this. It's on that. Maybe, you know, I'll integrate and stop a little bit and do a little bit of um, Photoshopping and stuff like that. But then, you know, I keep jumping back and forth between things in, and I guess in a way that's sort of the same thing as what we do every day. Right. I mean, uh, no, no. Okay. (laughs) So so what is, what's your environment? Uh, No, I just meant, bouncing around in different programs, I, for the most part, at least for what I'm doing right now, it's pretty much you open your CAD app. I mean, we're using AutoCAD, but in my office. And you shut up and work. And you shut up and work. Yeah. (laughs) You just pretty much, it's all day in that environment. Not, not entirely for me all day, but that's the majority of what I'm doing. So when you talk about bouncing around, I'll sketch here. It depends on the deadline, right? Uh, it, yeah, probably. And exactly what phase of the project you're working in. Right now, we're headed toward a submittal for several projects that I'm working yeah, on. So, so it's what... it's very, yeah, my mindset right now is very much getting a lot of things done and, you know, kind of in that drawing, a lot of, a lot drawing. of drawing right now. But, but I wanted to to ask you guys if you think that this change we keep talking about the studio environment how much that feels very creative and open that you're moving and doing different things why is it that our corporate environments don't absorb that similar sort of office feel to them because my office is like yours or Cormac a little bit more like yours we kind of have pods as well where there's four of us sitting kind of in a U-shaped and we have a planning table in between us that we can share and use but there's no drafting capabilities to any of this and each what i find 
that what I find doesn't really work is that we're all sitting in each of the four corners. Right. Yeah. Not facing each other. And that's what we do too. But that doesn't, that's not a collaborative sort of environment, right? Because if I need to talk to somebody about something, I have to stop what I'm doing, turn and look behind me 180 degrees, or I guess 45 in two different directions. But, um, well, that's, it's just pretend you didn't but, see what's but see, on the that's efficiency of space. <laughs> yeah. That's just a space usage, I guess. No, I, I disagree with that. I, I can give you our example, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> it's not efficient. Well, I think because I don't no, think no, no. It, I don't I'm, think I'm it, not saying it lends itself to the working. to the job. I'm saying that it's just the use of space because so everybody's kind of like sandwiched in the corner of let's just call it a square. It's open in the middle. And everybody's, you know, sandwiched into the corners and that's the way that they're facing. And so, you know, you've got desks, you know, on your that's, right hand side, but that's you've got like desks on your left shoving hand side us from- into a damn closet and closing the door behind us. Right. That's what that feels like. Not to me. I mean, to me, there's specific there, to me. I look at it this way is that the way that a desk is set up in a corporate environment, if it's set up like this where we've got this little pod and everybody's kind of facing away from each other is that there are certain things that we do for the bulk of the day that are pretty much an isolated thing that only we can work on. And so really how much of your day is spent up looking at other people talking to them when you're trying to draft something up or when you're trying to respond to an RFI or review a submittal or any of those other things. Those are things that you pretty much have to singularly focus in on what you're doing. And that's probably why the evolution between what we do in school and what we do in the profession are distinctly different. Whereas everybody's facing each other to really talk about what it is that they're doing and what we're talking, you know, what we're doing is we're, so you ask, what's the difference? Well, in the corporate world, we're beholden to uh, clients. We're beholden to a schedule. We're beholden to deadlines. And so we're more singularly focused on getting the tasks done so that we can remain billable. We can keep submitting our, our invoices to people and keep getting paid. And okay, so, no, wait a Okay. Wait a minute. You just said beholden to schedule clients and uh, I forget the, the milestones. and uh, miles. Yeah. You're beholden to all of those in in studio, no matter right, what. you got no your, which you got your teacher, you, you have your your deadline and your schedule. You have all those same things in studio. I, I totally, yeah. The the labor laws have completely screwed all this up. I mean that that to me is is one of the worst things that could happen to this a creative field like this. But I and I can go into that more in a minute. But fin- finish what you were going to say, Cormac. I, I'm stuck now on the labor losses have, have destroyed creativity. <laughs> no, you got to show up in this time. You got to leave at that well, time. You you have to be it, creative during the day. You can't be creative after work because we don't paying you for that. Uh, there's all kinds of things well, like that that just don't work at all. But nobody's willing no, to it, actually because, rethink it, again. That stuff. It's because we're beholden to clients. Clients work on in most of the time they're on their nine to five schedule. So for us to be you know productive when we're working with clients and stuff like that, we're we're kind of stuck. We've geared our profession to work on our client schedules, to work on contractor schedules and things like that. So it it's essentially a nine to five type job. 
we've always felt like, you know, we're productive whenever we feel like we're productive. We are creative whenever we feel like we're creative. But that doesn't necessarily work with the schedules of the people that we're actually working for. Not not our boss. I guess I'm not saying that. I'm just, yeah, I'm not saying that I'm creative when I'm creative and you can't really control when that happens. Like, you actually get right, good at that right. by doing it, right? You don't. You actually do sit down and and show up every day, and and you you don't have to wait until the inspiration strikes. But and you're right. We we do have to definitely work within all of the. It's a huge team, right? And everybody does have to have overlapping hours. But I don't think that we've really ever gone away from this tradition just because this is how we do it. I don't think it really is has been rethought in a in a new way that that because everything is so mobile and technology has allowed us to be untethered. Uh, this is one industry, architecture, that is so slow to adopt that kind of stuff that that yeah, just because I I have to work at the same hour doesn't mean I have to do it in the same chair every day, but we still have a ver- very much an ass in seat well, mentality. Well, okay. So and that could be a completely different topic all in its own right, because being mobile and having the ability to work in multiple places isn't essentially that a cubicle in its own right, because now you're taking yourself out of the collaborative or uh, having the ability to have a collaborative environment. And the only collaboration that you really would be doing is in a digital format. You're not ass in seat looking at somebody else talking no. to them and, and really kind of reacting based off of that uh, well i'm i'm pretty sure you don't believe that <laughs> right I'm, I'm pretty sure that that the face-to-face is. is really important to you and but all i'm saying i guess is a distinction based on something you said earlier which is you are answering rfis and and you you want to work you want to work a certain way at a certain time based on the task at hand and so to me and this is what I, maybe i'll, I'll do our sponsor break here and then get into this but we need flexible work environments that allow us to do different types of work in different types of scenarios so that you're not because because sometimes you need to be collaborative you do not need to be collaborative all the time you're absolutely right but we need office environments that enable that to happen and a cube is not that thing right that that's where i'm going with that i mean it's 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 we're starting to get into the nitty gritty of this, but and back kind of back to the original thing, where we want to kind of lift the veil and say what it's like working in a corporate environment coming out of out of us of a architecture school. The this is exactly the kind of stuff that people run up against, and it is shocking to the system to go from a studio environment to sitting in the same seat for the right. same hours it- every single day. And I think that's kind of the root of all this. And we all are still feeling this, even though we've been working in the field for a very long time. Because I think we still long for it. <laughs> totally. Totally right. That, that's exactly it. Let, let's take a quick break, and we'll talk about RCAT. Uh, RCAT is our sponsor once again. Thank you, RCAT. So we're all pretty busy, and sometimes we feel like we could use another hand to help out. Would you like someone to draw CAD details for you? Would you like someone to take those monotonous details off your plate? Would you like someone to create BIM objects or write specifications? And how would you like all of that done for free? RCAT is your answer, and RCAT has already done all this work for you. Search the RCAT libraries for CAD, BIM, specs, catalogs, videos, and more. All this content created for you 
free of charge and no registration required. So you can stop registering on sites for content. Just come to RCAT and find what you need. RCAT has created a website devoted to you, the building professional, to find product information fast and hassle-free. Check out RCAT today at rcat.com. And don't forget, you can provide feedback on the site. This is something that they've asked us to let everybody know about. If you go to the website, you can click the button on the right side of every page and make suggestions to help make RCAT better. So that's definitely something they're looking for. So use RCAT, figure out what you need from them, and let them know. And thank you, RCAT, for sponsoring this episode of ArcaSpeak. All right, so jumping back into the conversation, I think something that this we we have something similar to what you guys have we have we don't have these pods that um everybody's kind of facing in four opposite directions kind of like the compass right you, you one person's facing north one person's facing south so everybody's back is to each other and i've been to your office cormac i know exactly what what you're talking about ours is a little different we have rows of cubicles and everybody's kind of facing a different direction so we don't have these clusters but something that we identified maybe a year ago and something that I kind of, I don't know, I hate using this word, but I championed this idea to... Um, oh, there's some good corporate speak. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do pods. And the reason we want to do pods is because we want the de- the design team, the architecture team, to work on the project from beginning to end facing each other. And it was very important based on all the research that I did and then thinking back to studio and looking at all this stuff was that everybody needs to face each other and not be facing the opposite direction. And the reason for that was because you learn more. You get to hear their conversations because they're right there and they're talking in your direction. And I have to say, like, yeah, there's a lot of people who are like, this will never work. And I've done it on two projects myself, but we've done it on four or five projects now in our studio. And the reason we keep on doing it is because it keeps getting better and better. And the most interesting thing is you take people from different parts of the studio, they leave their desk for the duration of the project, and they go sit in the pod. And it was hard to get people to do that initially. It's very hard to get people to come out of their comfort zone of their cube and come work in a pod. And so a lot of times I was sitting in the pod by myself for two or three weeks just inviting people to come, and nobody would come. Once they did come, they didn't want to leave, and we've had a lot of really good feedback, especially from people who you wouldn't have expected it from, who are people who are very introverted, because they tend to isolate themselves even more than the cubicle already does, or their headphones already do, um, and just just naturally. They want to be in their own head, and they're very comfortable there, and they can figure things out, and they can crank on work. But they were put in this environment where they had to sit next to somebody. And so we have these eight-foot-long desks, and and there's two people on this side, and then there's another eight-foot-long desk, and there's two people on the other side, and they're all facing each other. And these projects have done so well. Uh, And so if you want to speak back to, like, the, the, the reason you're there is to make the company money. Like, this totally fits the bill. And it's collaborative, and people are learning. So you have a project manager there, you've got a designer there, you've got somebody doing drafting, you've got a project architect, and everybody's having these conversations with each other all the time. I don't have to get up and walk across the office to ask somebody a question. They're right there. I don't have to call you. I don't have to email you. I can just ask. And just the kind of ease of communication has made things so much better. 
And if you and the reason why I brought up just before the the sponsor break there about having different work environments to enable you to work in different ways is important. And this is something we, we really haven't done yet, but we're working on. Um, a friend of mine and I are like redesigning the whole studio. But the the idea is that yeah, sometimes you have to go make a private phone call, right? Or sometimes you need to go have a, a private conversation with somebody, and you're not going to do that there. But for the most part. You can and you should because especially with younger uh, hires or, I don't know, employees, you want them to hear the stuff so they get the information firsthand. They're part and own the project because they hear all this stuff and they, and you, they know that they're just learning and soaking this stuff up from people who have been at the firm for much longer. And they're gaining that valuable information that is so lost in most firms where there are right. partitions yeah. between desks. Because they're just not exposed to it. And so, yeah, they're listening to that difficult conversation with the consultant. And they're listening to that conversation between the PIC and the project manager of why didn't you do this? And, oh, I did that. I thought we, I was supposed to do this. And, and they're, they're just learning through osmosis, right? And this is an amazing thing. And we've gotten feedback from these kids who have come in to their first job and they're like, I'm getting a, another education right now. And this is this has been amazing, and so our feedback has been really, really positive. There are definitely people who are saying, oh, "I wish I had more space. I wish I had more layout space. I wish I had my thing." But for the most part, we we actually don't hear that. We we hear, "Man, like I feel like I'm becoming an architect," and so that has been paying dividends. It's it's really cool, and it's good because it's it's essentially mentoring without any effort because everybody's kind of involved with everything. Yeah. And it's been great because we we first we did it in these closed conference rooms that because that's where we had space. And we worked through that project and it was great inside the room. The door was closed and anybody could say whatever they wanted. It we call, we called it the HR free zone. <laughs> right? And then and and then but but I realized very quickly that it was going to be really important for the next iteration of the pod to be out on the production floor because everybody needed to see it. Everybody had to experience it. Even if they weren't part of that team, they got to see what happened. And so now we have a team pod that every Thursday at 4.30 has happy hour. And they just say, hey, everybody in the studio, come on over to our pod and let's have happy hour and let's hang out together. And and they do slideshows. They share their summer vacations. I mean, we're doing that this week. We've done it in the past weeks too, where a friend of mine is going to be showing his summer vacation to Switzerland in the pod. I mean, and so these become attractors for people who they want to walk by when they're doing their laps through the office and they want to see what people are doing there because these people are having conversations out loud. And, and the funny thing is like, we've all done this. It was, this is exactly what we all experienced in studio, but there was this culture shift and it's been like this for a very long time where when you go to work for an office, the the situation, the environment changes. And so it's pretty funny. All we're trying to do is undo that and put it back to, to what it was like to be in studio because that is where creativity happens. That is where we solve problems together. And we use the C word. We collaborate all the time. And, and that's just it, – it's actually working out amazingly well. So we've kind of sprinkled them throughout the studio so that they're not concentrated in one specific area. And that right there has been one of, one of the key elements to 
creating a collaborative work environment that is a lot like being back in studio again. You know, it's interesting you bring that because th- I remember seeing an image. One of my favorite architects is Brian McKay Lyons. And, you know, you go to his website and there's all sorts of nice and interesting projects and stuff stuff but one image that always captivated me and i'll see if i can find it is they they show kind of an aerial shot of the studio of the architectural studio and what it was was just a big huge long table with a couple of little offshoot tables or just like little things where you could put your computer but for the most part you were sitting at an extraordinarily large basically family table yeah and it what i i always what struck me was is could I work in an environment like that? I mean, I, I am that kind of introverted person where I'd prefer to kind of just have my space and, and do my thing. And, and it's it's not yeah. that I'm trying to be an isolationist, but sometimes what it does is that, you know, it, it just kind of like lets me be productive in my own way. But yeah. I, I look at these and, and you talking about the pod is brought up that that image from McKay Lyons, uh, Sweet Apple Architects is what it's called now. And and, and I'll, I'll hunt down that that image so we can put it in our show notes and everybody can take a look at it because it, it is it sounds very similar to this pod notion where everybody is sitting there. Yes. And that is a key part. And I was going to bring that up is it is even better if you can get people out of their offices so that there is no visual hierarchy to it. And and the reason why is because, again, everybody's learning through osmosis of all of the issues that you have to learn to become right. an architect and run how to run a business in architecture. That is one of the things that people get so isolated from doing production, right, is how to actually run the business. And so then next year comes and you get a bonus and you get an increase. And, 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 and at some point, you become expected to know how to run the firm. Yet you've never done that. Right. Because you've always been isolated from it. And it's stupid, right? It's like, why are we doing this to ourselves? Everybody should be in the environment of, here's what I do. I'm just going to do it out in front of everybody on purpose. And it's not like you're doing it in front of an audience. Nobody's sitting there staring at you with their mouth agape just trying to figure out what the hell's going on. They're doing their work too, right? But they're sucking it in. They're getting it in their subconscious. And then their mind is processing it. And... Even though they're not doing what you're doing, they get to see you do it. They get to see how you handle situations. And pretty soon they're going to be able to do it themselves. I mean, obviously training is going to help too. But this is just one of those ways that we can enable people to get there. One of my favorite comments from a recent graduate that was working with me. This was back at the other firm I work for. They just graduated. You know, they'd been in the studio environment this whole time. They'd worked for, for a few weeks at, at the firm kind of stuck chained to their desk and kind of doing all sorts of things toilet room plans i'm sure and and stuff like that but so then they uh, joined my team and the first thing that i always love to do is take them out to the job site and just let them see what it is that it you know and, and i've said this countless times on the podcast but let them see what it is that they're drawing let them understand that the beam overhead is the line on their paper and all that other stuff but we went through so many different meetings and they were just there. Essentially, I was just thinking, oh, you know, they, they can be there to take notes. <laughs> it's what we always, always tend to do with, uh, yeah. you know, interns and stuff is you, know, you just you just take the meeting minutes. But what I realized then and it helped kind of let me grow a little bit in in a way that I could mentor is exposing them to let them see 
everything. Lift that veil and let them see everything that we do. The good, the bad, the ugly. When we're sitting in a construction meeting, we're arguing with the the client or the contractors or something about um, whether it's a change order or whether it's a change in a detailer or whatever. And she said to me, she goes, I didn't realize that architecture was so much management. And it sort of is. It is very much management of all these different facets, but it's more of, in this particular case, it was just a management of exposure, getting them exposed to all of the different things. That's why I really like and really interested to learn more about the kind of this pod concept, because you're, if you're sitting at this family table and you've got the head of the table is the principal all the way down to the kids table where you've got interns and stuff <laughs> and you know, the folding card the table, folding card table um, yeah. and uh, where they put the crazy uncle Neil. Um, but so, mm-hmm. But I mean, <laughs> really, Uncle Neil? Why don't they let you sit at the table? <laughs> why don't they let you sit at the grown-ups table? Oh, anyway, <laughs> but I like it because everybody hears the conversations. Everybody sees what everybody else is doing, and maybe you don't always get a chance to see the principal as they're talking about or negotiating a contract. But how much of a valuable tool is that exposure? That simple exposure of overhearing it. You may not be able to write a, a proposal yeah. after you've listened to them, but you at least know some of the nuances of things that happen when you're exposed to it. Hell, I'm kind of excited. I'm awake now. <laughs> so there's there's a couple other key components to it, too, that, that are just things that you should have there, I think. And this is stuff, again, that we, we had this stuff when we were in school, too. But but you need pinup space. You need a whiteboard. You know, you, you could use a projector. Everybody can just gather around a monitor, no problem. But if you have a, a larger screen, that helps. But a whiteboard is pretty key because if you want to draw a detail and have everybody, hey, guys, let's solve this problem. Let's do it right here, analog, right? It's huge. It's it's. You want to have lists of things that people need to take care of? Put them on the whiteboard. The cool thing about that is everybody in the firm gets to see what you're working on and right. what he's working on and what she's working on. These are this is important information that gets conveyed that normally people stick on a sticky note and slap it on their monitor, right? But now it's up for everybody to see. So it's not simply that everybody is sitting there facing each other. And I and I totally think that there are lots of digital collaboration tools that allow this to happen remotely too. You know, we've talked about Slack before. We've talked about Evernote. We there's all kinds of interesting stuff that you could use to do all this. Uh, the the key, at least in the beginning, and the reason why I I think that this has so much value in a company, and I I know we've kind of strayed away from our original topic, but let's just run with it, is that we've been able to have people who we didn't know what kinds of talents they had because they hadn't been asked to do a lot of different types of work, be put into these teams, and they have excelled because they've gotten a wider range of experience and i mean it's it's been one of those things where we didn't know that this group of people was an a team yeah until we put them in that situation and we said prove it right and they did and they've done it over and over again and when we've been able to take you know what happens when you go work in these larger offices is you get a team of people who works on a project right and then that project wraps up and then that team moves to another project and then that project wraps up and because of the way availability and staffing works in offices that tends to be the way that we go from project to project on the, with working with the same people what we've done is in, intentionally tried to break that to find out where our a players are and the amazing thing is these teams have become a player teams 
And every time we, we mix it up intentionally and it's like, holy crap, we've got another A team. Look at these people. And then, oh my God, look at, look at the way that project is performing. It's performing amazingly. And that's a totally different group of people. And so it's just been able to be one of those things that, that has shown value in so many different ways. I mean, people are learning, people are taking on new responsibilities, they're being supported by their peers, and it's just paid off in so many different ways that I, it is an exciting thing. I'm, I'm glad to hear you're excited about it, but it's been pretty simple to employ and then iterate on. I mean, one thing I was very clear about in the beginning was, this is experimental. This, these are not the answers. Like, this is just the latest thing. We're going to try this. And what happens when we do it the next time? What are we going to tweak? And I think that's a really good just way to look at it is how are we going to make it be- even better next time? And that's what we keep doing. And, and actually saying that out loud to people who are like, I don't know if this is going to work. I've said that out loud to them and they're like, oh, really? Like, like you know you're so confident about it. It seems like this is set in stone. No, you tell me what, what's going to make it better next time. And they're like, wow, uh, you're asking me like, I didn't think that my opinion mattered or I thought you guys had this all figured out and I wasn't allowed to give you my ideas. And that should not be the outlook that you have when you start something like this. I think it's, it's one of those things where you look at it, like it's experimental, you iterate, you do it better the next time, you take advice, you take ideas, you employ them into it, and you do it. And people get to feel like they own the whole process, right. not just the outcome of the process. I can't stress enough that that's a, a huge, valuable educational tool. Yeah, it is. It's been awesome. So I think it, that's one of the things that people could look for when they go interviewing at different companies when they get out of school or when they're making that transition is look at the way the work environment works, right? Is it cubes? Is it collaborative? Is it the big family table? Does it look like an architect's office? Or does it look like a studio? Or does it look corporate and clean and quiet? And those are all clues into the ways. Do they have pinup space? Do they have like... Ugh. Does it... Yeah. Is, what's on the walls? Is it is it trace paper or is it final renderings? Like all this stuff kind of clues you in. Are there models sitting around? Are there 3D prints sitting around? I mean, that was one thing I loved about your office, Cormac, was just the number of models everywhere. It's like, holy crap, I'm in an architecture office. Like, like this feels good. Oh, yeah. Even at my level of experience and as, as many times as I've been in other architecture offices and other professional offices and stuff, I, I was interviewing for a new job. And so I was nervous. And what was interesting is I walked into this firm and I immediately took a deep sigh of relief I took a deep breath and I was like, oh, like, oh they get this it, right? <laughs> is a place I want to be. I can just tell because yeah. it felt like an architecture off. It felt, you know, cross between corporate and studio. It had the shiny images because it's been around for a hundred years, you know, of, of all of its different works and things like that. And it should be proud of all of that. But then when you, and it's not hidden from, from public view, but when you look around the corner, you see the inner workings of the office and it's not clean. It's, 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 yeah. it's got a little grime to it, but it's got models. We've got a model shop. We've got all these different things. There's trace and paper up all over the walls and everything. And there's progress and, and people are standing around talking about architecture and conversing about it. And, and are there things that we could do a little bit better? Sure. But to be quite honest with you, there's a direction there that doesn't need to be tweaked too far to get it to this kind of 
collaborative environment or this integrated design practice type thing that that is kind of the buzzword recently but i I think that yeah places like that i got lucky (laughs) i got lucky yeah yeah definitely i all good good tips to kind of things to look for when you're when you're just out there kind of job seeking and uh touring offices and you know that's another way to do it just tour 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 if you've got a friend who works there or find out they're easier it's easier now with social networking to hook up and just say hey can i get a tour in your office i'd love to just come by for 15 or 20 minutes or half an hour whatever you can spare so i can check it out that's a cool thing i know this is a little bit different but one other piece of advice that i would say and it's a little off topic but very much on topic with what you're looking for you know we're we're talking about kind of like the feel of an architecture firm but there is one other thing that i just i, I learned so late in my career that i want to tell everybody early in their career talk to the employees not to the bosses not to the principals not to the people who are interviewing you talk to the employees get a feel for what it is like to work at that place from their perspective take them out for coffee yeah yeah (laughs) that's the people you're going to be sitting next to working through all of this stuff on a day-to-day basis you're not going to be sitting next to the principal unless you've got the big pod table or the family table type thing which is awesome in its own right but talk to the people that you're going to be working with get a feel from them because i swear you will have a much better view of the place you're going to work when you're talking to those people yep for sure all true I want to go work in your office, Evan. That sounds like fun. It is. It's it's an amazing thing. I mean, and, and it's and it's spreading. I think that's kind of the, the idea that we have been pushing for is show that it works. And then once people start to see it, make them ask for it. Like, don't just give it to them. Don't just, oh, you know, equity everywhere with this kind of a thing. Because I think people actually want to, they have to want it they don't want it it's going to be hard to convince them or make them do anything right so show them how how great it is and then make them ask for it and once they ask for it say yeah give it here it is right and 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 then it spreads and people have their own victories and they have their own stories to tell that that make it successful for them it doesn't all have to be the same so yeah very very worthwhile uh, to start small and let it let it get bigger you know organically yeah that that sounds fantastic. I'd really be curious for our listeners to actually chime in with us on this and let us know what their office environments are like and if they're set up and they're utilizing this sort of pod environment or if they're doing, you know working in cubes. Let let us know. Uh, I think it'd be quite interesting. So before we go here, let's uh, give a quick shout out to Arcad again. Thank you very much for uh, sponsoring this episode. Check them out at arcat.com. That's rcat.com. And for our list to our catalog of episodes, visit our website at arcaspeakpodcast.com. At the site, you can also sign up for our newsletter that includes links to everything we mentioned in the episode. And between episodes, join in on the conversation by leaving comments at arcaspeakpodcast.com or on our Facebook page or even through Twitter. We like interacting with the listeners. So links for all of those can be found by visiting the site at arcaspeakpodcast.com. And thanks for listening, everyone. Good night. Thanks. See you next time. Thank you. It's a slow road, but you have to walk it. You can start now, or you can hang your head in despair. It's the only road will take you there. 
a crap doctor, a mother of pearl. And if they don't know how to hold a woman, maybe you can put them back in their place. They could go a little bit of discipline and a hand across their face. Baby, let's pretend we're doing rosé. And while we're at it, have the opposite day. Yeah. <laughs>